Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes live stream show. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Happy Saturday, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Um, before we get started, next Saturday, we're talking about creating and developing animated series with Drew Champion and Jacob Moffat, who worked on Madagascar A Little Wild on Peacock and created Archibald's Next Big Thing for DreamWorks. That's next Saturday, uh, May 1st, same time, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. But today we're all talking all about TV writing and staffing season in particular. What is it? How do you get those elusive and all-important showrunner meetings? And what those meetings are like and much, much more. Uh, our guest today is a TV writer and producer whose credits include Chicago Fire, Hawaii Five-0, and The Rookie. Before getting her start in the writer's room, she worked at Power Agency CAA and is as an assistant to prolific showrunners Joe Carnahan and Peter Lenkoff. Welcome to the live stream, Allie Siebert. Great to have you on, Allie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, before we dive too far into questions about uh, staffing season, which we will do and we'll open it up. So if you're in the live chat now and you want to leave some questions for Allie about staffing or anything about television at all whatsoever, or about Miami University in Ohio, you know, <laughs> things like that, uh, feel free. Um, but first, I... You were on the podcast before, and you did talk a lot about your background and things like that. So if you're interested in that, you can definitely check that out as well, scriptsandscribes.com. Ali did a podcast for us there. But for those of you who haven't, we're going to get you caught up. Uh, so obviously, a lot of our viewers and listeners are looking to break in. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how you broke in, first, just your first job in the industry in general, and then we can get into your first staffing job and how your first job led to that and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so maybe you can talk a little bit about how you came to LA and then how you actually broke into the industry. What was your first industry job and how did you get it? Yeah, of course. Um, so I actually, coming from Miami University, uh, a school in Ohio, um, didn't actually have a lot of contacts out here. Um, I had maybe like one or two. One was in reality, which I uh, knew that I didn't really want to get into. And the other was um, working for a production company that is actually no longer around. Um, so I drove cross country, came out here. Um, obviously, things are a little bit different right now with COVID and a bunch of Zoom things going on. Um, but I started working at that company um, called Film Engine uh, as an unpaid intern and was able to kind of at least start to understand the industry a little bit um, and kind of what my role would be coming in. Uh, and those people who I worked for, um, were able to kind of guide me through the process of like submitting my resume and kind of finding different ways to get jobs. Um, and I was able to get on some kind of email uh, listservs and everything like that, where I was applying to different jobs that I heard about. And sometimes um, I didn't even know what they were. So the job that actually led me to starting at CAA or the email that led me to CAA um, was a really vague email um, saying that it was like working for an agent in one of the top three agencies. And mm -hmm. um, <laughs> one of the guys I worked for like came from CAA and he was like, no, you want to be at CAA. If it doesn't say CAA, it's probably one of the other two. And I'm like, I'm going to apply. Like, I still need a job. Right. Um, so I applied and it actually was CAA. Um, and it was actually in the news and like media department. Hmm. Um, and so I didn't actually end up getting that job either. But I got far enough along in the process that I was able to be brought in through HR met with HR for the job. Um, and then when it didn't go through, they were the ones who were like, actually, if you're interested in television, um, I have a person that I want you to meet with. Um, and then that led me to working for Ted Miller uh, in the scripted TV department. Um, so that's how I was able to kind of get into CAA and kind of get in at the ground floor. And um, at the time, I think I was even still kind of like, oh, maybe I want to write film, maybe I want to direct. Um, but TV was, uh, 
perfect because I'm very impatient and <laughs> film takes forever. And so um, being able to get into film kind of, I guess it was now um, quite a while ago, but where things are really taking off with like the streaming services, mm -hmm. it was like, you know, three seasons into Game of Thrones. So things were happening in TV that had never happened before with bigger budgets, bigger names. Um, House of Cards had just come out, which is time exciting and um so it was a really awesome place to be and through that job i was able to make a lot of contacts since all of his um clients were television writers um i was able to make the jump immediately from um working as an agent's assistant to going to work on a show um when one of our clients projects went uh you know i basically just asked <laughs> oh, wow. um yeah and so um once it was picked up to series i was like hey you know you and i get along if you're looking for an assistant, I'd love to be yours. And it, going, it goes against every bone in my Midwest body of just straight up asking for what I wanted. Um, but it ended up working out. Um, and then that's how I managed to start to transition into television mm -hmm. uh, and make those really close um, interpersonal contacts with TV writers and um, other writers and people who had done it before. Right, right. And so then that's how you got your first actual job in the industry, um, working from going from film engine to CIA and then from CIA to the show. Uh, and then how did you transition? I know you worked, um, as a showrunner's assistant on that show, uh, rake, was it? Mm -hmm, that's correct. And then you ended up working for Joe Carnahan and Peter Lenkoff. So how did you go from being a, a showrunner's assistant, you know, on multiple shows for multiple showrunners, um, to actually, getting staffed because that's obviously it sounds like it's the natural progression but as you know we all know it's not necessarily it's, a natural progression it's it's definitely right. a big jump that people don't tend to realize um it's not just next up you're here's your shot it's you have to hustle for it, you have to work for it, you have to convince a lot of people that you're ready that you're talented enough and all this kind of stuff so how were you able to make that transition Sure. And like, to your point, everything's um, different. And I, I know people who were, who have been promoted by sticking with bosses and being promoted mm -hmm. onto their shows or um, being able to transition onto shows that people know. Um, but it actually all kind of goes back to CA for me as well. Um, as I was working on those shows and gaining experience, I was also obviously writing, trying to get samples um, in order, keeping contact with people. And so um, at the time I had a writing partner and when we felt like our sample was good enough, um, we ended, I ended up reaching back out to the, the people that I thought would be most interested in my work at CAA. Um, so it turned out really well that um, I had actually developed a really nice relationship with one of like a, an upper level agent there. Hmm. Um, one of my friends had just become an agent and then another one of my friends um, was in the agent training program. So the key thing there, I think for a lot of new writers, especially is establishing those connections, but also, um, kind of like coming up together, if that makes sense. So the, you know, the first two agents were interested, but the, the um, agent that really sealed the deal was the agent in training um, just because, you know, they're looking for clients. It's mm -hmm. why a lot of times coordinators from agencies um, or, you know, people in management companies often like to talk to, you know, showrunners assistants, script coordinators, writers assistants to kind of see what's going on because they're looking to bring in their own client base um, and also hopes of getting up to the next level themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so once, um, that friend was, you know, was like, look, I'm put, willing to put in the grind work, right? Um, then we were brought into CAA is, you know, not yet staff writers, um, which is kind of intimidating because yeah. CAA is, you know, not necessarily known for its, you know, 
staff writing pool. Right. Um, and so it ended up working out really well where CA heard about a job that we actually didn't really have any connections at. Um, and so we were put up for it. But the key thing was some of my old mentors on another show were hired as upper levels. So that showrunner was able to ask them about kind of our reputation, about our experience. Um, and then when we met with them, um, it went well. And so we were able to get hired. But it, it really is a perfect story of kind of like the people you know, the contacts from years ago, right. people that you never know coming in, you know, you would never even guess necessarily coming into play um, to, to make it work. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily that's like traditional for everybody. Uh, I know that, you know, I think if anything, most people do kind of have to work their way up, um, you know, as assistants and, you know, trying to get a script first, a freelance script, and then getting, you know, hopefully promoted. Um, I'm actually really fortunate for the way that it happened for us, um, just because I think that uh, it got rid of any barrier of previously being seen as like as an assistant, you know, we were able mm -hmm. to come in just as writers. Um, There's a lot more to figure out. <laughs> you know, we didn't have um, the previous knowledge, but I think it was nice to have like a clean stepping point, if that makes sense. Right. No, absolutely. And I've heard that one of the traits that really helps assistants get promoted from uh, showrunner's assistant, writer's assistant to staff writer is the ability to discern whether or not your showrunner promotes from within and if not find another job where a showrunner does do that because there are certain showrunners who don't and I mean many do many do I'm not trying to say that that's a rare occurrence but there are those that are known for not necessarily promoting from within they have a lot of friends that they draw from and get young writers from anyway um so that's great now let's talk about Staff writing, uh, or staffing season, I should say. Um, a couple things. Kat Burgess says, How you been? Are you been doing good, Allie? Hanging in there during this pandemic? I guess that was the first question. So <laughs> we love Kat. So, um, how are you? <laughs> I guess we'll ask uh, I'm good. You know, it was, I'm not gonna lie, the, the, the pandemic was really weird for, for writing, um, yeah. and shows and everything like that. Things really, really slowed down. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally, I feel like was able to handle it pretty well. I mean, is, best as anyone could handle sure. all of this um but yeah it, it's it does finally feel like though that personally and the industry is kind of starting to come out of it which is right. very welcome <laughs> yeah we're rounding that curve people are getting vaccinated and so it's mm -hmm. uh, it's coming around just hopefully these this brazilian and south african and uk variants don't start causing I know. everything <laughs> <laughs> um uh, um, okay, so uh, staffing season. Uh, for those who are sort of newer, who may not be as familiar, maybe a term that they've heard before, uh, maybe you could explain what is staffing season. And I know it's different now with streaming services, uh, with uh, staffing going sort of around the calendar year instead of just one specific season with the three networks, uh, four networks, I guess. Um, it's a little bit different, but still, it's it's staffing season is still a thing so maybe you could define what is staffing season and when does it run um I, yeah maybe just start with the basics yeah staffing season i guess traditionally has uh generally been strongly centered around uh network tv shows after they've um kind of picked up the pilots that they think you know have a shot at turning into series um and once they've actually shot they view them uh and then start to meet with writers to see who they'd want on their staff if they choose to pick up those shows mm -hmm. um so previously it's always kind of been this huge frenzy of you know 
finding out what shows have the potential of going, um, reading those scripts, finding out which ones you personally like, and then, you know, trying to get a meeting on them. Um, so if the show does go that, you know, you're first in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, traditionally, it's always actually been now, I would say, it usually starts um, March at the earliest, you mm-hmm. know, usually when you're reading scripts. Uh, April is when a lot of the meetings happen. Um, and then it's always uh, ended around upfronts, which is when um, all the different networks announce their schedules and the TV shows, you know, and when, when they're all premiering. Uh, so I would say though, the pandemic actually definitely changed it. I think that, um, a lot of networks were trying to look for a way out of the traditional season. Um, and if anything, it was kind of, kind of the way to, to get around that. Like you said, I think that a lot of shows still are going to fall into that traditional cycle, especially, you know, the longstanding ones, like, um, for example, like the Chicago shows, right? They're Mm -hmm. still shooting on the same schedule. They're still going to be looking for people around now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think also it's kind of opened up things since things aren't shooting on a normal schedule. And because it has changed um, a lot of shows that would have been, you know, 22 episodes now in this year, they're only 13. um, It has changed things because the show lengths are different. You don't need as many people. They're hiring at different points. Um, so it really is starting to turn into a more year round process. Um, that said though, I think things are actually starting to pick back up again, which is nice. Um, since I think a lot of studios and networks see that, you know, Hey, we're actually going to get a chance to actually shoot things again. Right. Um, it's funny that it does kind of coincide with the same time where people at least are starting to talk about things, meet with writers, um, you know, kind of start to get their meetings in order, uh, seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, I guess, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we do have another question here. Let's see. Augusto Amador asks, so in regards to staffing, I am learning through my manager and execs that the writing rooms are being staffed with almost exclusively upper and mids. How does an entry level writer break through? Uh, you know, that's interesting. Cause I would actually say I, a lot of rooms that I've heard are upper and lower level. Hmm. Um, I guess yeah. it probably depends on the show. Um, I think what, what's hard right now is that budgets are really tight. You know, um, a lot of rooms have gone from, you know, where you work months because they are 18 to 20 something episodes on network, um, to even network shows shrinking down closer to streaming orders, um, or cable orders. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it is interesting because there are fewer spaces because there are fewer episodes to be written and fewer episodes to be discussed. Um, I think the best thing though, is that, you know, there's still a lot of opportunity, uh, at an entry level. Like you obviously have to be constantly networking, reading, um, I think following the news, seeing what's coming out and kind of trying to figure out what, um, niche you as a writer might fall into is really important right now um because rooms are smaller um you know they're looking for more and more specific people Mm -hmm. uh and whether that's good or bad we'll find out um but i think trying to develop your own writing to match the market um or what area of the market i guess you want to be in in uh you're getting at uh is is really important right now um so obviously the overall advice is always having an outstanding sample um but also just finding ways that you as an individual can stand out that you know your representatives um can market you with or when you go into meetings even if they're just general something that you know if you tell that to that executive it'll stick in their mind so that if you know a show goes with x detail and you know you've had a conversation about it they'll think of you um and i think that you know kind of finding ways to make yourself stand out um, from among the crowd is really important right now. Yeah. No, and I've heard what you said as well. That's sort of the consensus that I've been hearing too, that 
it's mostly uppers and lowers, mid that mid-level writers having a harder time because of the short orders and smaller budgets. You know, you have a few uppers to sort of run the room and, and, and then you just fill in the gaps with lowers. And oftentimes lower level writers find it's harder to break in. I think for a couple of reasons. One, there's just so much competition. Mm-hmm. And also a lot of them are filled through fellowships and through uh, promotions from assistants and things like that. So there's fewer but fewer open spots for lowers because they've been filled by, again, showrunners assistants, writers assistants getting promoted or fellowships and things like that. So it's it's it can still be very challenging to find it, a spot. But it's challenging at every level, really. Yeah. And like you said, it's, it's extremely competitive. Yeah. Um, you know, the number of people coming in trying to break into that spot, like you said, it's not just people coming up through um, assistant level positions or, you know, uh, you've also got people's friends who have decided that they want to get into TV or um, people coming from other industries who have decided that they want to write, you know, it's, it's, it's everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of converging on one point. Now, I know you had uh, mentioned how you sort of broke in through uh, CAA and then getting your first showrunner assistant job and then working that way in um, through promotions and networking. But how many, like we've spoken to a lot of lit reps and lit reps say you need just one great sample. If you have one amazing sample, they can break you and they're willing to try most. Uh, now, obviously they'd love to, for you to have multiple great samples, but all they really need is one. Uh, and if you have some great ideas, helps because then you can go out and pitch and things like that. For from your perspective, how many writing samples do you think going into a staffing season is ideal at minimum? Like two writing because I you know, know some showrunners will ask for multiple samples. Yeah, I think two is generally good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm guilty of only really having one that I like to send out, um, mm-hmm. but. it it matters because I think right now people are really looking, like I said, for specific um, writers to fill very specific holes. Um, And so a lot of times if you have two samples, one that, you know, might be better for a certain type of show and one might be, that be, you know, would be better for like a different type of genre or something like that. um, Then they're going to use whichever samples better. Like you said, though, I think the risk becomes um, having too many where it gets, Mm. Uh, you know, confusing, or you also don't want to send that many. Um, I've seen, you know, people get three different samples from one writer. They're never going to read all of them. Right. Um, so you definitely have to be discerning with your own work uh, and make sure that your reps are too. You know, you don't want to just, you know, have them throwing stuff out there. Like it, it's going to get ignored. Um, so I think that, you know, having, like you said, most importantly, a strong sample, but if you have two strong samples that, you know, cover two areas that you're interested in as a writer, um, and, you know, you don't want to send the, you know, Stranger Things type sample to the rom-com show, right. you're probably <laughs> not going to necessarily be the best fit unless it's some amalgamation of the two. Right. Um, so I think that, you know, if there, if it's possible to have two strong samples um, in two areas that you're interested in, um, then it definitely covers more ground mm-hmm. um, than, you know, one would. You'd mentioned filling a specific role or uh, on a show, like that being sort of what showrunners are looking for. Now, are you talking about specifically genre, meaning like if you write, you know, grounded reality, grounded sci-fi, whatever, versus you know, being a medical drama writer versus, you know, like that sort of tight niche. Like you're not just an hour long drama writer, but you write specifically interfamily 
medical drama, something, 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 or are you talking about the infamous special power, like what special power, what's your superpower kind of thing? Um, or is it both a combination? Um, probably both, but more, probably more just in terms of like the type of show. Mm, okay. Um, but that said, you know, it, it also doesn't necessarily, it, it's more what, like I said, what they're looking for. Um, I was on a mini room for a show that was, um, heavy in genre, heavy, um, in Native American culture, which was oh. very cool. And I was actually pretty much I was the only writer with kind of like no previous existing or no like personal ties to um to 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 native culture um but they were looking for a writer who had background um in like crime shows Mm. and procedural knowledge um and things like that which I did have uh so in, in that case you know I didn't necessarily have the perfect sample for the show as a whole um but it was the perfect sample with you know my my background to fill that that spot that they were looking for since there was um a strong crime element in that show right um so it is kind of thing where right you can't write to exactly what show uh you know if you're targeting to be on x show that doesn't necessarily work um but i think that you know that's why it's important to target whatever shows you're interested in and then find the best way that to, to get in there mm-hmm. um i'm recently gonna be starting on a show uh that's actually a 30 minute show um but they were looking mm-hmm. for a 60 minute writer so <laughs> uh it's kind of one of those things where you also never know um you know i think right now it used to be or i guess it used to be more like you know 30 minutes hard comedies only comedy writers drama writers are only going to go on to dramatic shows and that's not necessarily the case anymore um you know there's a lot of comedy on dramas and there's a lot of drama on comedies now i wouldn't say that uh fleabag was like laugh out loud funny oh sure (laughs) you know but um it was a very dark comedy but there's a lot of drama elements um so i think just kind of focusing in on what where where you want to be as a writer, you mm-hmm. know, if you could pick a lane, um, what lane is that rather right. than trying to, you know, I think, I think a mistake that, um, a lot of young writers make, um, especially right out of school is trying to have like five samples that cover everything. Right. Um, that's not gonna, that's not gonna get you where you need to be. Um, and frankly, unless, you know, you are one of those amazing people who can produce five samples that are absolutely incredible. Um, it's probably if anything going to take away just because you don't have the time to put into, um, one, two, even maybe three samples, uh, that really get all of your energy. Right. Plus if you have five different samples and different genres, it still makes it difficult for an executive to know where to place you because do they have to sit and weed through the five to determine which one is the absolute best, even if they're all pretty good, that kind of thing. So, well, and that's, what's funny too, is like, did I know going into some of the shows I was working on that I'd kind of become like a first responder (laughs) knowledge bank? Not, not really. Um, you know, but obviously I, on Chicago fire, I learned a lot about, you know, firefighters and, Mm -hmm. um, paramedics and then, you know, Hawaii five Oh and the rookie, uh, you know, a lot about, you know, the police work of it all. And then wouldn't have predicted that that would translate to cable streaming shows, but it has. Um, so, you know, like I said, you can't pick, um, but it is helpful at least to, you know, at least pick a lane that you're interested in, um, rather than trying to write to everything. Right. Right. Uh, we've got another question here. Um, Sam Weaver says, thanks for speaking today. Um, Allie, you made your connections through the assistant at the agency route. How common do you think it is for someone to do an onset PA role and transition towards a writer's PA writer's assistant? 
Um, it can definitely be done. I think it, it depends on you as a person, honestly. Um, I've seen it happen. I've seen people come from um, production offices over to the writer's um, room. I think that the uh, the main thing is making the connections um, with the writers and the showrunners strong. Obviously, you don't want to be in their face about it, um, but also putting it out there that that's where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that if you don't say anything, then you will get stuck on, you know, in more of like the onset role. Um, but if your goal is to try and transition transition from one of those roles, then spending more time with the writers, um, stopping by to say hi, making your presence known um, is important because then, you know, obviously people have assistance and, you know, contacts and stuff that they might bring in um, when a position opens up. But, you know, if you've shown yourself to be a hardworking person who um, has helped them out, you know, X amount of times, you're also going to be up for consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just about making your intentions known, um, proving that you're a hard worker uh, and kind of, you know, just being a presence. Right. Um, Cause there is a lot of competition, especially from, you know, coming from that area um, because you're also going to be up against people who have also done it before too. Right. And I would say that working as a set PA can be probably the most challenging of the assistant positions because your attention is on set and so away from the writer's room. And not to say that the writer-producer isn't on set, but you probably have duties to wrangle wrangle extras or you're doing something else that you can't really divide your attention. But I've heard of a lot of assistants and, you know, PAs in different departments, like an art department PA, you know, making that connection because it's, you know, it's a little bit more... I don't want to say laid back, but you definitely aren't as focused on what your task is at that moment kind of thing. Um, I think it'd be especially difficult right now, too, because a lot of writers aren't on set. Um, You know, usually right now the showrunner, the upper level or somebody will be. But um, in general, you're not going to get the same interaction, at least until things, you know, kind of return to normal. Right. I think, though, a good transition is if you were an on-set PA transitioning also into a production office. Sure, um, absolutely. The production office interacts a lot with the writers, um, and I've seen a number of office, like production office PAs make their way into to writers' mm-hmm. offices. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Um, ben Krasnow says, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, what's the best thing to write for my second sample? Something that's a different genre than something I've previously written or something in the same genre that I haven't thought about as much? Um, you know, I think it, it depends on how far along your ideas are. Mm. Um, you know, if you have a really well thought out, uh, second idea in the same genre, um, that you think will showcase different talents, uh, then why not? Or, you know, it could even be a better sample than the one you currently have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the more you write in one area, the better you're going to get at it. Uh, you know, but if you're, if you have an idea in another area that you're interested in, um, then I'd say, why not? You know, um, I'm currently working on a couple samples that are in totally different fields. Um, but that's because I'm, I'm passionate about those two things. Sure. Um, it wasn't like I went to, you know, uh, one piece is more of like a nostalgia, like throwback 2000s thing. Um, and the other is more of like a family drama. And I, it's not like I tried to find a family drama. It just came naturally from ideas. So I think if you're trying to find ideas, um, it's not that you can't. It just might be harder where, you know, if you have, it, it just depends on what you're more passionate about, what you think um, is going to have, you know, the stronger characters, a stronger storyline. Um, because, like I said, if it's two in the same area, that's not necessarily bad. Um, they may end up showcasing different things, even if you don't intend on it. Right. And I think from all the reps that we've spoken to and the managers, if you can keep it in the same ballpark as a, as a, a new, not yet established writer, 
it's probably more ideal because the likelihood of you getting meetings for a family drama and uh, a workplace comedy are probably pretty not likely to happen. But if you get, you know, a, a meeting on that workplace comedy, but you also have some other type of comedy that's, you know, in a similar vein, even if it's not the same genre per se, you, you can at least have that second sample ready to go rather than two completely different genres. I also think too, it's important to know, even though I just said I got hired on a comedy as a drama writer, mm -hmm. um, right. that comedy and drama are still, you know, very much their own thing. Oftentimes right. um, there isn't a lot of crossover. Um, I've seen it happen, uh, but, but it is difficult. Um, generally speaking, comedy writers are not drama writers and vice versa. Um, and I think, like I said, that's changing, but it's still very much in the two lanes. Um, and if you do want to make a switch, it is difficult. Uh, I've seen, you know, an upper level writer on a very popular animated show want to switch to drama and he had to get bumped down like two levels, mm. um, even though he had been writing for a long time. And he was a fantastic writer, right. but he didn't have the credits behind him um, to keep the same level in a different area, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and also they, even though, well, now it's, it's, it's starting to change a little bit. I think with Twitter, with the pandemic, with uh, the WGA, ATA, sort of tussle which brought all the writers together uh they're starting to to run in the same circles but i know for a, a long time that wasn't necessarily true i mean you may have had friends or acquaintances, especially if you were in a fellowship where you know other writers but in in working relationships drama writers know a ton of drama writers and and comedy writers know a ton of comedy writers and there there's maybe some overlap but not as much as you'd think yeah, and the process, um, I guess it depends on the show, but a lot of times too, like the process is somewhat different, you mm -hmm. know, coming up with a more traditional like sitcom, like joke after joke after joke, it, it doesn't work the same way as it does if you're writing, you know, creating a drama. Um, but to your point, yeah, I think that the circles still run that way. And, uh, you know, the circles are important. You know, people right. ask about other writers. People are always looking at references. Like I said, on our first staffing job, um, what really helped us is that the co-EPs that they just hired knew us. Um, so I think before we even met, you know, it was just like, hey, you know, if we bring them in, how are they going to do? You know, do you think that they, you know, are ready to to, to get the bump up? Um, and since we had that person um, to kind of back us, uh, it, it really helped. Right. So you also never know <laughs> um, who might know who or who's going to ask who about who. Um, uh, and, and it happens all the time. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's see here. Um, Scriptwriters Multiverse asked, do you think virtual writers rooms will be the norm next year? Are they here to stay? And do you find it harder or easier to collaborate virtually? Um, I don't think they'll be here to stay. I think in some instances, uh, it'll still be easier, especially like if you're writing uh, a film, right? You don't necessarily need to meet in person. And if you want to go write in the mountains and wherever, but you still have internet, you can still meet with people and get notes. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that will open up more um, to, to virtual things and, you know, not necessarily need to be in LA. Uh, but I think for writers rooms that they, they will go back. Um, it, it definitely provides a challenge that zoom fatigue is very real. Um, you know, you get room fatigue from sitting in a room from, you know, 10 to six or mm -hmm. whatever hours that you're there. Uh, so rooms right now are a lot shorter because they're on zoom. Mm -hmm. um, but that's also because you're more focused. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, you're not having necessarily like the same side conversations that you would uh, if you were in office. So I think that the the rumor I'm hearing is that people will go back um, or start to go back to offices, you know, in the fall, closer to like Labor Day. Mm -hmm. um, we'll see if that happens. I think right now Zoom rooms will continue for a bit, but I think that most people are hoping to transition back into um, an in-person thing. Right. I mean, in, in my conversations with everyone from showrunners all the way down to writer's assistants, uh, nobody prefers the Zoom uh, virtual writer's room. Not a single person uh, likes it better. I mean, everyone obviously appreciates not having to commute, but nobody really <laughs> right. likes the, yeah. <laughs> the virtual writer's room. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's just my... It, it's harder. It's harder for a number of reasons. Um, I'm actually pretty fortunate with, with my setup. I have a whole second monitor. Um, and so we have programs and everything that we use so I can see zoom and mm. I can see kind of like the thing that we're breaking at the moment. But, um, a lot, you know, a lot of people are just on their laptops, you know, sitting in a chair in an office or something. Um, and it, it is more difficult and it is harder to kind of get a flow of conversation going, um, and kind of, you know, pick out people's personalities, um, you know, things like that. So, I think it'll definitely move back at some point. <laughs> right. No, I, yeah, it's probably very soon. Um, as soon as safely possible, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Um, Julia Doolittle says, hi, Allie. Thanks for this. What's the best way a new TV writer can reach out to established people for advice networking without coming across like a total parasite? <laughs> Good question, Julia. I mean, I think if you have, um, if you have like kind of existing connections or a connection through someone, you know, don't be afraid to do it. Obviously, mm -hmm. I think, you know, make sure that you've thought through what you want to ask, how you want to say it. Um, I've, unfor <laughs> not unfortunately, but I've definitely known people and have personally received, you know, novels of emails, which um, don't necessarily start the best um, tone. I think it's better to kind of focus like, you know, on an introduction, um, the main things you want to ask, um, you know, I think it's important to remember whoever you're talking to, you know, no matter what the level that, you know, their time is valuable. Um, so whatever you want to kind of learn from them or inquire about, um, focusing on that is really important. Um, but I also don't think you should be afraid to do it. Um, I get emails all the time. I, I speak to uh, students who do an inside Hollywood program through uh, the college I went to. Um, and they reach out all the time. Sometimes it's even just about moving out here, um, you know, kind of even getting into like the first starter jobs at agencies, management companies, um, PA roles. Uh, so I would say just go for it. I mean, you know, everybody had to start somewhere. Um, and I think that it, people would be surprised how, how willing most people are to help. Um, obviously do I think that, you know, if you were to reach out to the top, you know, most popular writer at the time, is that necessarily the best move? Right. Probably not unless you have a connection, um, you know, but, but getting a, a, a broad spectrum of, you know, opinions and, um, and learning the way different people, you know, did it, uh, is really important. So, mm -hmm go for it, um, you know, respect their time, um, make sure that you have your questions thought out, what you want to say thought out, um, but don't be afraid to do it. Most people are willing to help. Most people like to help. Um, you know, I think just being respectful about it is the most important thing. Yeah, and join us on the live streams. We have a lot of great guests who are willing to share their time with you. And you just asked a question, Julie, and you got an answer right there. So, uh, And now, Julie, you can follow up with a tweet. And so tweet it at Ali underscore Siebert. There you go. Um, 
so, but yeah, no, I agree. Networking is hugely important, and especially for newer writers to try to get established. Uh, it's sometimes it's the only way if they're not here in Los Angeles working at a production company or a management company or something like that. So, um, oh, I would also say too that, yeah. um, especially for for especially new people just in the industry mm-hmm. and you know out of school and everything like that too the industry does not rely heavily on linkedin <laughs> which i right. think is really important um just because i know a lot of you know friends um in in things like that and other industries do rely you know they have gotten jobs through linkedin um i don't know if my linkedin is updated i don't remember the last time i touched it <laughs> so i would say that you know it can be a, a resource um but like you said um tweeting reaching out making connections to other people um you know, even if that person isn't necessarily, you know, they don't, if they don't have the exact advice you're looking for, they might know somebody. Um, and, and always remember that, you know, somebody's connected somewhere. So Right. Um, and I've heard, I've never heard that Twitter is a bad way to connect. So if you have Twitter or email, if you can email someone, that's not a bad way to connect. But I have heard from a few lit raps and things that LinkedIn and or Facebook some of them have said, not everyone, but a few have said that that's not a great way. Like they don't like getting Facebook messages from people they don't know per se. Take that as you will. It's it's different for everybody. But for the most part, emails and, and t- tweets are fully acceptable by pretty much everybody. They may not respond or at least respond right away. But um, for the most part, I've never heard of anyone saying that that was a bad way to reach out if you would like to. That kind of thing. But yeah, I have heard some people say that LinkedIn, for whatever reason, it's for business only, or they're like, <laughs> like you and I barely use the thing. I'm, I'm never on it. Or for some reason, my Facebook is for personal use only kind of thing. Some people are like, so anyway, take that as you will. Um, let's see here. Sam Weaver asks, on the topic of samples for someone seeking to break into TV, what format are samples typically these days? Pilots, specs for existing shows, features, something else? You know, and personally, I've heard of, you know, plays. I've heard of short stories as a second sample. Obviously, you still need a some sort of a TV script for being your first sample. Uh, but what have you seen uh, being passed around nowadays? Yeah, I mean, like, to your point, I've, I've heard of everything now. I feel like at some point, um, I know a playwright who broke into to TV writing, um, you know, after after doing a number of plays, I know people have, you know, some really good short stories that are, you know, might be even better samples than their own pilot. Um, I would say generally, I still hear that having your own original pilot is the best way to go. Um, I think a lot of specs for other shows um, are still used in like different programs, mm-hmm. um, but not necessarily what people are looking to read um, if they're going to bring you on um, to their own show as a staff writer. So I think, you know, having a really strong um, sample that's your own is really important um, because essentially what they're looking for, are you able to develop characters? Do you have an understanding of structure? Um, you know, do you understand, you know, flow and formatting and all that kind of stuff, um, especially entry level, you know, they're, they're not expecting you to have the greatest thing that, you know, they've ever read that's going to go on and win an Emmy immediately. Sure. Um, but they are looking, you know, to see, can you tell a story? Um, and I think that the most important thing that I, I like to tell people is that um, you've got to make it count. Um, and the first 10 to 20 pages, um, oftentimes that's all you get. We were told on our first show, <laughs> we sat down and we're like, oh, they've read our pilot. And the first thing they said is, I read 10 pages. And we got the job on the 10 pages. Nice. Like, never read past. Right. Um, and that's a lot of things. That, 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 that's a lot of it. Um, you know, even if you have 
someone often assistant who does read the whole thing um they've made their opinion in the first 10 to 20. right um if your pilot is boring up until page 55 and your last pa five pages are phenomenal unfortunately that's not going to matter as much um so i think that you know remembering that your first impression is everything um is really key because if the showrunner reads it um they're also going through a lot of samples can you make that um kind of impactful punch um something that they're like all right you know this person gets it this person knows how to start off a story right uh you know within the first 10 minutes of reading yeah no that's 100 percent true and again, talking to lit managers and having been a, a net, uh, production company reader myself. Now, as a reader, you have to read the whole thing. But you, again, <laughs> you've made up your mind after about 10 pages. You know whether the script is going to be awful within 10 pages. You don't necessarily know if it's going to wrap up and be great, but you know within 10 pages if the script is a disaster or not. Um, and very rarely are you wrong about that. So, uh, and I know a lot of lit managers say five, 10 pages is all they need. If it doesn't catch them in five, 10 pages, they're not reading the rest. It doesn't matter. You know, they're not reading it. So that's definitely something that uh, newer writers should take into account. Make sure those f first five to 10 pages are a home run. Not that your whole script shouldn't be, but yeah. Um, <laughs> right. In theory, your whole script should be. Right. But yeah, if, if you're like, well, it gets really good on page 30, then. <laughs> right. You're in trouble. That, that, that's something to, to, to think about. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, okay, so let's see here. Uh, Dan Doherty asks, what's the best way to submit samples to have a shot at a meeting? Should we be submitting to reps, managers, production studios, or agents? Without representation, who will review our samples? Um, it depends on the place. I, I, I would say that the best way is to try and find or try and submit yourself to, to representatives first. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, otherwise it comes off as just kind of a cold submission, um, which depending on the company, uh, they might not legally be allowed to read. Uh, we used to get cold emails and stuff at CAA, um, just like straight to us or straight to the agents that we'd literally have to forward on to somebody in HR mm -hmm. uh, to, to legally do it the correct way and have an actual legal response written back to them about how they cannot submit through X, whatever way that they did. Right. Um, so I think that, you know, it also doesn't necessarily look good if you are able to get, you know, an executive's email and you just start uh, bombarding them with stuff. I think that most people like to have it come through uh, the correct channels. So submitting your things to representatives, um, like I said, people who are on their way up to being an official representative um, and, and finding somebody that is going to have far more connections than you ever will because that's their job uh, is is the, the best way to do it. Um, and like I said, if you have somebody that you know that you can submit it to or um, that person feels comfortable and, you know, thinks that your samples should go to X, X production company, then great. You know, I'm not saying don't do that. But um, in terms of just sending out submissions to, to try and get eyes on it, um, that's ultimately still going to be the best way. Right. And I would add uh, that's all true. But I would add that um, finding open available positions that are being staffed is incredibly difficult if you don't have a rep either, because by the time the average uh, writer out there who doesn't have a rep finds out about a project and goes, oh, I would love to work on that show, it's probably been staffed already. By the time it's out there in the trades, by the time it's out there floating around, um, even if it hasn't started yet, they've probably been staffed. So... That's especially happening right yeah. now, too, with a lot of things. By the time they're announced, they're already staffed. Because um, yeah. it used to be if you heard about a show, um, they were in the process of looking, or you could tell your reps, like, oh, hey, I want to be on the show. But, like, lately it's definitely moved toward by the time it's announced, it's already done. <laughs> right. 
because so many writers are out there out of work and <laughs> networking and have a ton of time to do nothing but network. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Julia Doolittle says she's going to follow up and cold email Ryan Murphy. Thank you for inspiring me, Allie. But she's kidding. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Uh um jj vasquez is here my boy jj who uh, uh i know i've known for a long time um saying i don't uh, appreciate his daily facebook messages i don't get your daily facebook messages jj although i wish i did um okay let's see here um gina ippolito hopefully i pronounced your last name right gina um ippolito asks in your experience are things happening more slowly this season than in previous years I'm mid-level, coming off three seasons of network comedies. Wow. Uh, tons of generals, but no showrunner meetings yet. Uh, definitely. <laughs> um, and I think, like I said, right now, I um, <laughs> just got out of mid-level positions. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really rough for mid-levels right now. Um, I was able to get onto a mini room, um, but I've talked to a lot of other friends um, who are in similar positions that, uh, you know, they've been staffed eight weeks out of the past two years. Um, so I think that it, it's been slow for a number of reasons. One, like I said, because rooms are smaller, um, because budgets are different and because things are just taking longer to figure out. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the normal time that a show is able to be up and running before has now been doubled, tripled, um, you know, and the fears of how much money that they have to spend if something happens, um, and keep people on for two weeks, uh, paying them without doing anything is very high. So, uh, I would say that it, it is slower right now. Things are starting to move. Um, people are starting to get really busy again, at least, you know, on the agenting side, on the executive side. Um, so I, I would say that things are coming, but also I would say that, you know, it, it's definitely been a slower year and it's not unusual, mm -hmm. especially based off people I've talked to and my own personal experience as well. Right. Cause Gina says, uh, normally by now she would normally have had about two or three by mid April, but I guess. Uh... Yeah. I was told too that network is pretty much just kind of like doing its own thing right now. So mm -hmm. it's also changed because, um, you know, exactly to her point, I was expecting the same thing last year when the whole thing started, I was gearing up for, for staffing season. I was ready right. to go. Um, and it, it didn't happen. Um, or at least not in the same way. So, uh, yeah, I would say that things are definitely moving slower right now. Um, positions are, people are kind of figuring out whether or not they even need to replace people that they let go. Um, so it, it, it's not abnormal. Right. Um, Dan did ask the best way to sort of to submit to have a shot at a meeting. For those writers out there, again, having been a showrunner's assistant, uh, although I don't know if things have changed post-COVID with Zoom everything, um, but having been a showrunner's assistant for a number of, of showrunners and, and shows, uh, what are some ways that newer writers out there who haven't worked you know, on a show as an assistant or something or haven't been through a fellowship or don't have a rep? How is it possible and how to get read, to get looked at by a show if they discover it before, you know, obviously it's already staffed? It would be pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that, like I said, if you had the right contacts and somebody knew a showrunner and was like, you, your sample would be perfect for them, like, let me send it to, to them. Mm -hmm. um, that said, it, it's a lot of risk along the way for you, but also for um, whoever whoever would be sending it on, um, for you obviously just sending it yourself. Um, I'm sure that there's examples of it happening. <laughs> um, I've heard stranger things, I'm sure. But uh, it, it would definitely be 
abnormal, I'd say, unless usually would have to have some contact if it wasn't coming through a rep or another writer or something like that. Right. Um, and like you were saying, like the moment that a show starts staffing or even before it starts staffing, um, representatives from every company are all over it. Um, and especially right now, because there are fewer slots and there are a lot of people looking um, and the, the, there are fewer shows currently going at the moment. Um, there's a lot of shows I think right now in limbo where they're um, being decided on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if they're going to be another season, are they going to pick up the show uh, where in the past it would have already happened by now. Right. Um, so I guess to, to, to go back to the root of the original question, it can happen. Um, I think it would be, very difficult and be like very specific circumstances. Right. And I've also heard that a lot of, because of the pandemic and nothing could shoot a lot of, there are a number of shows with scripts just stacked up. Like they've written the whole season and it's just Mm -hmm. sitting there waiting to be shot. So even though it hasn't shot yet, they're not really looking for a staff because they've already staffed, they've already shot. And then the staff is wrapped and they're looking for another job. And right now, the thing too, is it used to be that a lot of writers would stay on and then um, production would start in the middle of that. Mm. And then you'd kind of stay on a little bit later, depending. Um, But what's also happening a lot right now is um, the writers are meeting, they're getting their writing done, and then it's uh, being produced after the fact. Mm -hmm. So it's just two separate blocks and then you end up waiting a lot longer. Um, I know shows that started two years ago that are still in post-production. Wow season um so things are definitely backed up right now um and like you said that it that does play into timelines um where before it was kind of a cycle of you know you had a month or two off after production wrapped and then the writers would start again and uh you know traditionally for network tv but that's definitely not the same Mm -hmm. now what are some of the things you learned as a showrunner's assistant that you saw that you either experienced firsthand or witnessed or just gleaned from your experience from your time there that helped you either land your first job or once you've landed your first job in your first season as a staff writer? Um, I personally loved being a showrunner's assistant. Um, I was never actually a writer's assistant. Um, but I think as a showrunner's assistant, you have access to everything. Um, everything has to go through you, right? Cause it has mm-hmm. to go through the showrunner. Um, so if you're able to, and you know, if you have the ability to ask, you get to see every part of, of the process. Um, so you see the production meetings happening, the pre-production meetings, um, you sometimes get to go to set. Um, I was able to go to a number of post things. Um, and then you also have interactions, not quite as close as you would if you were a writer's assistant, but with all the writers as well. Um, so I think that the thing that you can really take away from that is kind of having a better standing of the overall process. Um, I remember talking to some writers on shows where they were, you know, mid to upper levels and they had never had to do any pre-production or production experience um, because not every show does send writers to set where I had already at that point, you know, been to set multiple times. Mm-hmm. Like I went, you know, on the tech scouts, like, and so I was trying to describe to them as an assistant, like, well, here's what happens on a tech scout, <laughs> you know? So I think that uh, being able to access everything and learn about the departments and learn, um, you know, who's who and who's doing what is, is really key. Uh, and it might not even come into play in necessarily like your first job, mm-hmm. um, but it will at some point. Um, and having knowledge of how set works and um, all those different things really does help you down the line as a writer, because ultimately your script has to be made. Um, so, you know, if you've written a scene and X department is saying that this doesn't work, um, just having a better understanding of what does work and how set can make something happen um, matters. <laughs> right. Um, and in showrunner meetings, when you have a meeting with a showrunner, obviously they like your work or they wouldn't spend the time meeting with you. What 
are some of the common questions that you've been asked? You know, it really varies. I think that <laughs> I remember this through me the first time I ever was asked it, but um, I think kind of knowing your role and what you're good at is really mm. important. And even if they don't ask it, um, trying to insert it. A lot of times they're initially just trying to get a feel of who you are, right? Mm -hmm. Are you a good fit for the room and what the other personality is it um, they want to hire that they've already hired? Um, so it, a lot of times it is, um, you know, kind of feeling it out and, you know, finding that, that rhythm with, with the, the other person. Um, but knowing your role and what you can bring to the table is really important. And like I said, even if they don't ask, um, finding a way to insert it, I think is really key. Like um, for me personally, I like structure. Um, I love breaking down episodes. I think it's a puzzle. Um, I love being able to fill in holes and, um, you know, what can we move where to make it work? Um, where, you know, if you really love um, character development or whatever, you're, you're really good at character arcs, you know, for a season, um, then that's another thing you can bring up too. Because essentially they don't want to have an entire room of people that, that's good at structure. They don't want to have an entire right. room of people that can only focus on character details. Um, and so, you know, it, it, the best thing is to be honest because if you're not good at one and you say you are and then they fill that hole and it doesn't work then it, that was never the right fit anyway so sure. i think kind of um being prepared with like a solid statement um of what you individually can bring to the table um is definitely key because they are ultimately looking to fill holes um and also being ready to share um personal experience too mm -hmm. um i think right now a lot of shows are looking for writers um who can bring like different backgrounds and everything like that. So um, being able to open up and answer questions about that kind of stuff too is important. Right. And the only thing I would add is from, I don't remember who mentioned it. It was recent. Someone said that if you're going to go down that path of whether it's structure or character development or research or whatever it is, that's your specialty. Maybe it was Carol Kirshner. Don't put dialogue because everybody loves dialogue. Dialogue is something that's the, the, the dessert. That's the fun part of writing so if your specialty is dialogue, that's all you can do. Well, then that's probably not something that is in high demand because everybody seems to love writing dialogue anyway. Well, and dialogue also, too, is something that you're not spending as much time on in a room unless it's like a comedy and you're writing it that's together true. on like a screen. Um, so it is, you know, it, being able to what you can bring to the conversation when you're, you know, trying to break the show as a whole mm -hmm. as well. No, that's that's 100 percent true. Um, so let's see. I also wanted to know. uh I think it would be valuable to know. So other than a showrunner meeting and the showrunner giving you the thumbs up, unless it's obviously uh, Shonda Rhimes or Ryan Murphy or somebody that's high up on the food chain with multiple series on the air, successful series. Um, what else is necessary for a, a, a new writer to break in as a staff writer, like network approvals or, mm -hmm. you know, what are the other types of meetings you're going to need to, to take and, and, nail to get that job yeah um a lot of times you'll have meetings um if the like you said if the the showrunner writer um has a production company oftentimes you'll meet with their executives first um mm -hmm. kind of as a screening almost if you will um and they'll kind of narrow it down and de determine who they want to send on um for the showrunner to meet um you'll also need to do you know studio or network approval sometimes together uh also pretty important um because the thing you have to remember is uh depending like you said on the influence of the showrunner influence of the executives um studio and network executives also have writers that they you know sure. want on their shows and um have certain values that they want to bring or um you know writers that they feel that they want to you know kind of push forward themselves so y y it is important to make those important impressions um 
and you know, at some point too, it, it happened to me before as well, where, you know, I've met with somebody who's show running a show, but the network had somebody else in mind for the spot. Um, so you never know at what point um, somebody could kind of step in and, you know, shake things up. Um, and, you know, obviously, like you said, if Shonda Rhimes says, I want this staff writer, the staff writer's probably going to get hired. Right. Yeah. Um, but you never know, like you said, you know, there's, you also have competition from um, different, you know, programs from all the networks and everything like that and uh uh so it's important to just obviously obviously make a good impression every step of the way mm -hmm. um because you do have a number of people with you know a number of names in mind for one singular slot <laughs> right and speaking of of making a good impression and i'm sure it's different with every executive every showrunner every whoever because personalities are different expectations are different uh needs are different but what would you say is a key to making a good impression with again these other meetings you have to take other than a showrunner meeting you know like executives they have a different potential agenda than a showrunner wants to make sure that you're going to follow their vision wants to make sure that you're easygoing wants to make sure that you're going to fit into the personalities in the room where it may be slightly different for the average studio or network exec what what are the the keys to sort of making a good impression with the other side of meet the other types of meetings other than showrunner meetings? Would you say? Um, it, it I honestly I would say it's it's making finding a way to try and make like a personal connection. Mm. Um, more often than not, the first fifteen minutes of a meeting, often those times like those meetings are thirty minutes. Sometimes they'll go a full hour. Right. Um, but they're really just trying to feel you out. You know, who are you as a person? Who are you as a writer? Um. Is that something they want to have part of their company? Um, because, you know, once you make it into NBC or Netflix or whatever, right, there's a chance you might stay there. So yeah. are you something that they want to continue to work with? Um, and obviously it's a lot harder over Zoom to try and find something personal to connect on right away. A trick I used to use um, in offices, you know, people have things decorated, they have mm. posters. Um, is there something that, you know, it can be a conversation starter? A um, little bit more difficult over Zoom. Uh, but, but honestly just finding a, a personal way to connect to them and you know you want them on your team you want them to fight for you you want them to think of you um even if the show doesn't go forward if you, even if you don't come back or decide not to come back um are they somebody who's going to support you in the future so i think just you know finding a personal connection um making sure that you know they know what you have to bring uh, is really key because they are meeting tons of people all the time, even if it's not for the show, they're having generals. Um, so just being something that they, somebody that they can chat with, um, somebody that they feel confident um, that if they send you off to another meeting with somebody that they respect, uh, that you can go in and, you know, have a, another good meeting is really important as well. Um, I know that sounds <laughs> kind of simple, but it really is, you know, an industry where you spend a lot of time with people and you spend a lot of creative energy um, together. And so are, are you somebody that they want to work with? Mm -hmm. um, you know, do they want to put hours of the time, you know, into trying to, you know, make a shared vision with you. Um, and it also matters because they might, you know, you might end up developing with them in the future too. Um, so, you know, trying to find something that um, you can connect on or uh, a shared understanding is really key. Right. Right. Um, how do you prepare for meetings, whether it's a showrunner meeting or an executive meeting? Um, maybe different than a pitch meeting, of course, but how do you prepare for meetings and has it changed from when you were first starting off as a staff writer versus obviously now, um, you know, 
moving up through the ranks, you know, mid and upper level? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's changed some. Um, it, it obviously also depends on what you have available to you. Um, some shows are now meeting people without sending them a script, mm. <laughs> which obviously puts you at a very different right. vantage point than if you've read the actual pilot. Right. Um, but obviously reading the pilot, um, I always like to keep notes for myself in terms of like obviously characters and everything like that mm -hmm. um, and kind of personal notes that I have. Um, I always like to prepare different thoughts, different storylines that I'm interested in telling, different characters that I connected to, um, both as a writer, but also on a personal level. Um, and then I also always like to have questions uh, kind of prepared for, you know, where the show is going or, you know, what role that they're looking for me to fill, um, which I think probably is more of like an upper level uh question because hmm. um you know staff writer you are there to work right. <laughs> you're there to do whatever they need um and uh i think though the thing that i've also found helpful is like doing some digging um you know i like to check social media are they do they have a presence um who are their contacts that i might not have thought of um i think that you know i usually ask if i think somebody might know them um, I'll reach out to those friends, like, even if they don't, you know, like they might know somebody who knows them. Mm -hmm. um, and so just trying to premiere myself from all angles. Um, I recently had a meeting where um, the showrunners had like made uh, like a documentary. So I watched the documentary, um, which was like something that we were able to talk about in our meeting. Um, so I think just like literally trying to, to find anything that you can bring to the meeting yourself that might stand out. Um, I don't think, I don't know if anyone else that they talked to, like watch their documentary, but like, it, it was a key point, you know, and it, it pertained to the show that they were trying to create. Um, and I think it helped and I was glad I had watched it. It was important. Um, so having a solid understanding of, the materials you're given, hmm. um, having your perspective on the materials um, and directions that you would like to go with it. Um, and then, you know, any other general information that can help is, is, is just key, at least, and, you know, especially over Zoom, <laughs> trying to find those personal connection points uh, that make it less feel awkward <laughs> or mm -hmm. feel less awkward on Zoom um, than in person. So, right. I wanted to go back quickly to your time as a showrunner's assistant and also to sort of because I know a lot of, of newer writers out there are looking for an in, looking for an opportunity. And while I think you and I are in agreement that getting representation should be that sort of first step, um, but for those out there who want to or may have some sort of outside connection, maybe not directly with that specific showrunner, but... In your time as a showrunner's assistant, what sort of outside connections have you seen work? Not necessarily like this was the perfect in and they ended up getting a job, but just to get read. Like if somebody's part of an alumni network and this showrunner is part of that alumni network, would that work? Or a college professor that may not have a connection to this showrunner, but may reach out from NYU or USC or, you know, one of the big film programs, or if somebody from uh, the Austin Film Festival were to call and say, we've got this amazing writer, what, whatever, pass it on. Like, obviously, again, every showrunner is different. Every show is different. But what avenues have you seen work uh, where somebody would reach out to you, your showrunner, and maybe through a distant connection or a six degrees of Kevin Bacon connection, gotten read even if they didn't get staffed but at least got a look 
Sure. Um, hard, it's hard to say. Uh, I, I would say some of the things that you mentioned for sure. I, I think it depends on um, that showrunner's perspective on mm-hmm. whatever it is, if it's like a festival or whatever. Um, and also kind of the prestige of whatever organization that is. I think that, um, you know, obviously if you had a, you know, top professor at USA reach out like that would probably count for more than, you know, professor reaching out from Miami university, right. <laughs> um, you know, just like I teach the one script writing program. Right. Um, and granted <laughs> they also probably wouldn't have those contacts. So that's not even, uh, the same thing. Sure. Um, it, it, it really depends, um, which I know isn't necessarily a great answer. Um, but it, it also depends on who's coming up from the, the ranks. Um, I recently found out that, uh, people knew each other through a fraternity in college Mm. like you just never know what shared connections exist i guess so i wouldn't say that one is necessarily better than the other um obviously if you have somebody coming from a program but they're emailing you know 20 people that that doesn't mean as much right because they're doing more um but i think the important thing is to ask uh because you never know who might know somebody um and then uh you know, kind of keep an eye because new people are coming up through the ranks all the time. Um, people are getting switching from documentaries to TV writing to creating films. Um, and so a connection that, you know, wouldn't be obvious might exist. So I wouldn't say that there's one more than the other that I've seen. And I think it's important to say too, that those are definitely, um, a little bit more rare. A lot of them are personal as well, you know, coming mm-hmm. up through families or friends of a family member or something like that. Um, but but exhausting the connections and figuring out who knows who. And um, one of the first things that like agents do is kind of ask, who do you know? Um, I know a lot of, you know, writers who've had to literally like make grids. Well, I worked with this person on the show and here's right. how I know this person um, because it is all about <laughs> that, that grid and network of who you know. Um, so if you can do that as somebody who isn't necessarily broken in, you might still find that, you know, your professor was roommates with, you know, the, executive on a popular network show or something. Yeah. Um, and, and that could be your really, really unusual in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that those are the, you know, there isn't necessarily a common story, but it is um, a way that you can try and find at least that connection to get to know somebody, to get your foot in the door. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You never know where those connections are sort of going to pay off because yeah, somebody knows the six degrees of Kevin Megan. Somebody knows somebody who knows somebody. You just have to, work through those connections and see where it leads without being as Julia Doolittle put it, a parasite. Um, but you know, you can definitely go down that, that rabbit hole. And I also think it's important to mention too, it doesn't necessarily have to be just like to submit a script. Sure. Um, you know, it could be also to get a job that leads you into a position where you are able to mention that you want to be a writer and submit a script. Um, I mean, it's kind of like for me the only, I only had like one realistic connection to a scripted, uh, writing thing at all um and that led me down this path so you know it wasn't a direct thing um but at least got my foot in the door and got like me into a world that i would would have otherwise struggled to get into Mm -hmm. yeah and in terms of uh, like you would mention it could be not necessarily just passing on a script but it could be something like getting an assistant job or Mm -hmm. learning about them or even what we were talking about earlier which is to just make a genuine connection, ask questions. Like if they have questions, Hey, you know, you may not be reach out to Ryan Murphy for a job because (laughs) his kid goes to school with somebody who's 
friend you know teaches that that's whatever but if that connection exists hey is it possible that i could have 10 minutes of your time i had some questions about breaking into the industry and that could be the extent of it and through that maybe they get to sort of be friendly with the the showrunner's assistant who one day will you know they all sort of build on each other it's all about relationship building not just what can you do for me right now kind of thing because people do smell that and um it, it definitely comes across as desperate but making genuine connections i think through whatever means possible um i think is is important and i also think too the thing to remember which is so simple but um yeah is that people remember who's a hard worker. They remember who brings a positive, good energy. Um, Because, you know, at the end of the day, like it it does get tough there. You know, you will get to the the hours where you are writing on a last, you know, minute uh, budget or deadline or whatever you're trying to accomplish. Um, And people get stressed, you know. And so um, I think that a lot of times, like, sure, it is still like a cutthroat industry. There are um, definitely some things that happen. But people remember who out of everyone they've met works hard. Um, they try to bring those people with them. Um, I remember every, you know, assistant that I've worked with that has gone out of their way, um, you know, and, and you make a recommendation. Um, and so I think that, you know, as simple as it sounds, <laughs> if you do come in at that, that level or that role, um, even if your obvious intent is to, to get to the next, that's not a bad thing. Um, but just remember that, those connections at all levels, whether people are above or below you, mm-hmm. um, matter. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so last call for questions in the chat. If anyone has questions, please drop them in. Um, but I wanted to, to know from you, what are some of the things that you discovered when you first broke in that was different in terms of the job of writing on a television show? than you had expected. Now, it may be a little different for you since you had seen the whole process as a showrunner's assistant, but maybe before you had broken into sort of the the production office slash showrunner's assistant where you got the, you know, the blue sky view of everything on the show. But what are some of the things that you found to be different when you first wanted to be a writer slash TV writer from when you actually became a writer on a show? What are some of the things that you found to be different, far different than you had imagined or you had thought? Let's see. Um, I don't know if necessarily far different, but I think that the amount of collaboration in television specifically is important to understand. Um, I obviously knew about some, but to experience it and especially go through the process yourself, right? Even if you've seen somebody go through the process of writing a script, doing it is very different. Um, and I've also seen a number of people um, who are used to, you know, doing their own work with relatively little input um, come to TV and then be surprised (laughs) at how many voices are involved. And I think that that is like one of the most important things to understand is that, you know, if you're writing film, sure, you're working with the executives and whatever, but it is still very much um, what you write until you hand it off and the director changes it for whatever purpose. Um, I think in television though, from the very start till the very end, there are, you know, so many voices along the way. Um, Other writers, your showrunner, but then you also start to get like, studio and network notes and um at every point right you might need to change something because it doesn't work for the budget it doesn't work because the stunt isn't doable in the location um just the number of voices that actually go into making a script um in the the 
like, yes, are things that you should fight for, but also don't be precious. Um, I've seen a lot of young writers get really attached to like one thing that just isn't going to work for one reason or another. Um, and I think that being adaptable in television um, and be able to kind of go with the flow and taking input and, you know, um, learn what is worth fighting for from your perspective and what, you know, is worth to, to go along with um, is, is really important because I think that um, getting stuck to too much, especially as a young writer, um, on one thing um, is definitely a detriment um, for one reason or another, whether it's to, to yourself as a writer to, you know, making the show um, as smooth as possible, which is really what you're trying to do. You're trying to make the showrunner's job um, easier and, you know, provide everything you can from your, your point. Um, so I think that getting used to the number of voices, um, learning just how many voices there are from people you might never even expect. Um, and then uh, uh, finding a way to make that work with your idea. So um, it becomes like one voice with the show is definitely the biggest thing, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. And again, from having worked on a number of shows and worked in a number of rooms, what would you say, without having to name anyone specifically, but what would you say is the main reason or one of the main reasons where a, a writer doesn't get called back for an additional season, a second season? Like a um, young writer or just in general? I mean, just in general, but I mean, if there's something specifically for newer writers that is more applicable than, yeah, but I mean, just in general... I would say um, it's usually more of a younger writer mm. thing or newer writer thing. Um, like I said, is is really kind of getting stuck on something. Mm. Um, I think that you know the best thing you can bring to the table as a young writer is endless ideas. Um, be an idea machine. Uh, go with the flow. Feel out the room. See what direction it's going in, um, and don't be the roadblock. Um, I've seen a lot of writers kind of get stuck on one idea, or you know, if the room is on this lane and suddenly there's they pitch an idea out here um it, it's kind of just like breaking things up mm -hmm. um and and i think that those two things are really really key and that that's kind of the reason where i think that like not that they become a problem but you know if you're causing more problems and inserting more problems into to whatever um story you know they're trying to fix or create um then that's the biggest detriment um or kind of you know getting stuck on a point i've seen you know somebody keep pitching the same thing five times if it didn't go over you know the first couple of times right maybe let it go um or find that perfect moment for it um you know but don't keep saying the same thing right. um you know be aware read the room uh you know and be open like i said you know don't be precious with ideas um know that or remember that it isn't your show. You are trying to create somebody else's show. You're trying to, you know, add your perspective. Um, but ultimately it's not yours to, to craft. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I guess lastly, wrapping it up is what sort of advice would you have out there for those newer writers out there who are wanting to break in? Like what, what advice would you have for them in terms of either the writing or the business aspect or just in general? Um, I would say obviously, Network, um, obviously write, which is why I won't get into the writing aspect of it. <laughs> the right. stronger sample, the better. Um, in, in, in know as much as you can. Um, I think that, it, you know, knowing who the players are, following the news, um, kind of seeing what's going, what's not, uh, what networks are picking up, what kind of shows, uh, all of that is really important. Um, I'm really glad that I have a better understanding of like the business side because I did come through CA and I think that, um, 
it, it puts me at an advantage, at least for understanding like how things work, um, you know, and be able to protect myself too, um, you know, and at least understand, you know, kind of who, who's having what conversation and, mm-hmm. you know, what deal is going to benefit me, what, you know, when to push, when not to push. Um, and so I think just taking it as much as you can, it never hurts, um, you know, making friends with whoever, because you never know when that might come into play. I've had line producers from production offices submit scripts to showrunners for me. Um, that's not a connection you'd expect. Right, right. <laughs> um, but it is. So I think that, you know, just trying to learn as much as you can, network as much as you can, and remember that, you know, somebody who might be, you know, an assistant one day could be, you know, somebody who sh- sold a show the next. Um, and it's very possible in today's world. Uh, so just taking it as much as you can, understanding the business, um, that's really going to put you at an advantage. Um, Because I think solely focusing on writing um, and kind of ignoring the factors that actually make a show go, um, you know, ultimately that's going to blind you in certain areas that will matter down the line. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. So um, thank you for coming on and talking to us today, spending part of your Saturday morning with us today. Uh, Yeah, of course. Appreciate it. Um, Follow Allie on Twitter. It's at Allie, A-L-L-Y underscore Siebert, S-E-I-B-E-R-T. It's in the link below. Um, so thank you again, Allie, for coming out, answering questions. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Um, and for those who are here today, be sure to join us next Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, uh, same time as this one, for our episode on creating and developing animated series with Drew Champion and Jacob Moffat, uh, who worked on Madagascar, A Little Wild, and Archibald's Next Big Thing for DreamWorks. Um, so have a great weekend, and we will see you next weekend. Bye.